What's this in the paper? From air hostess to college lecturer, thanks to psychometrics. Lorna Fitzsimons worked cabin crew until one day, by chance, she happens to solve an extremely difficult maths puzzle for a colleague. Her colleague suggests she follow it up by doing a psychometric test, which she does, and her results are off the charts. And now she's Professor Lorna Fitz... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know that name. Lorna Fitzsimons. Surely not the Lorna Fitzsimons. Not my Lorna Fitzsimons. What could it be? I'm mesmerised. Like the flick of a switch in my brain. I'm back there. Fingal, North County, Dublin. I'm ten years old and it's 1979. The year of the papal visit. Thatcher has strolled into Downing Street. The USSR march into Afghanistan. And America has sneaked into El Salvador. Rejecting every effort at compromise, the Ayatollah has planned his return with masterly timing. Nineteen seventy-nine, the oil crisis, the Iranian hostage crisis. Jack Lynch resigns. Mountbatten is murdered. The Whitty Island disaster, the Cold War, nuclear fear. Voyager takes a picture of Jupiter. In the hurling, Galway would meet Kilkenny, Dublin and Kerry in the football. Chikatita was on the radio and the Waltons were on television. 1979, the Indian summer. As the youngest, I was no stranger to hand-me-downs. But as September 79 approached, so too did the prospect of me being on the receiving end of a peculiar family heirloom. For reasons I'm still not sure of, one of my older siblings had in their possession the keys of our national school, which they would open in the morning and lock in the evening. When that kid reached the end of sixth class, the job would pass on to the next. In my own brief memory up to that point, I'd observe my brother Puck pass the keys to Marie, Marie to Maliki, Maliki to Audrey, and now Audrey has finished national school and preparing to go to secondary school. Down through the years, the ritual went as follows. Andrew McLaughlin, a member of the village committee, would, on the last week of August, come to our house with the keys. My father would pass them to whomever was next in line. So on the last Friday of August 79, Andrew duly came with the keys. I was the only one left in national school, so my father walked into the kitchen and said to me, Brendan, will you open the school? No. What? Why not? I don't want the responsibility. What? What are you talking about? Well, you and Mr O'Donnell were in the garden the other day. You were talking about some man leaving a party and another man running a party. Leaving? A party? What? <laughs> Do you mean Jack Lynch? Yeah, him. And Mr Donald said to you, I don't think Charlie even wants to lead the party. He doesn't want the responsibility. Yeah. And you said, you're probably right, Paddy. Yeah. Well, I don't want the responsibility of opening the school. But that's not... You can't... I... I give up. Patsy, are you hurting your son here? You have to open the school, Brendan. Says who? Says I. But I'm not. I'd only said all this because I liked the sound of I don't want the responsibility. I wasn't even sure what it meant. But when I said it and the reaction it received, 
I realised I'd stumbled upon something which made me feel very grown up. So, being stubborn, I stuck to my guns. Sunday came. Mass. Me, the altar boy, and Dad, the church collections. As the neighbours shuffled out the big doors, Dad told Father Crowley my position. I legged it out of the sacristy before he came back in. Father Crowley immediately notified the village committee. Most of them men, most of them standing chatting outside the church gates, slicing tobacco and stuffing pipes, gearing up for their weekly political rant on the walk home. And within that committee, its own council of state within our own tiny village republic, the reaction to the news could only be described as a constitutional crisis. Who was going to open the school? At an emergency session of the Council of State later that day in the parochial hall, Father Crowley was emphatic. He couldn't do it. He said Mass every morning and was up to his oxers with the impending papal visit. Paddy Donnell ruled himself out. Johnny Connolly was a farmer, so he couldn't just drop everything, nor could my father... Johnny correctly predicted that the teachers, accustomed to hearing every excuse known to man and child, would, at the drop of a hat, have their own reasons why none of them could possibly. Finally, a temporary arrangement was agreed. For the first week, Andrew McLaughlin could open the school. He was on holidays from work. Johnny would lock up and, unbeknownst to me at the time, a plan was put in place to resolve the issue Permanently, the keys will be kept at our house, collected and returned each day. So, there the bunch would sit on the mantelpiece as always, only now with a life of their own, rattling reminders of my budding obstinance. Kilkenny beat Galway, and school started back without much further ado. On the second day, a sweltering Thursday, I was on my way into Miss Butler's class. You're not taking the keys, Brendan. I was dreading this confrontation. Father Crowley. He strolled up. You know, Brendan, if you were to become a priest, you wouldn't be able to just refuse to do something, especially if that something was in the service of your community. He looked deep into my eyes and then finally grinned his grin. Anyway, see you tomorrow. The wedding's at 11. Half 10 at the sacristy's time and all. Okay, Father. Hey, Father, uh, what do you know about him? Martin Luther? He stopped, turned, looking at me as if i just told him I didn't believe in transubstantiation. What do you know about Martin Luther? Uh, nothing. Just that I was in the mobile library yesterday and there was a book about him. Yes. And I was looking at it. And yes. And, and Miss Butler... Yeah, Miss Butler. She came over and said I should get it, that I'd like it. But I already had my books taken, so I might get it next month. Miss Butler, did she now? Well, it's very complicated theology, Brendan, and it might confuse you, but better to stick with the letters of St Paul for the time being. I was late getting into Miss Butler's class. It was packed, fifth and sixth combined. I scrunched in beside Midge Walsh, my best friend. Bobby McGrath turned, stared at me and stuck out his tongue. Fool. When the terms choice, freedom of speech or republic are mentioned, some may think of America 
or the 1916 proclamation. But I think of Miss Butler and France. Because Miss Butler took it upon herself to teach us the French language and everything else about our great republic. She told us about liberté, égalité, fraternité. None of us had a clue what she was going on about half the time. But we were all in awe of her passion. I don't think our parish priest had a lot of time for Miss Butler. To the other teachers, Father Crowley was polite and chatty. But to the young, sophisticated Miss Butler, he was just polite. Just. In fairness, though, I don't think Miss Butler had a lot of time for him either. Miss Butler wrote on the blackboard, then turned to the class. OK, now, before we begin, you have a new classmate. A new classmate? Whispers and murmurs of intrigue shimmered around the room. Lorna, would you like to introduce yourself en français? Heads turned as a voice in broken French floated up into the air. Je m'appelle Lorna Fitzsimons. She was sitting over at the high window next to Mary Kavanagh, the afternoon sun shining in on her... J'ai On her blonde hair and her sparkling green eyes, she was gorgeous. Je suis dead Dublin. Wait, did I just think she's gorgeous? Je veins de malahide. No, I'm not thinking straight. I couldn't possibly think she's gorgeous. Je un ferrer. She's a girl. I don't even like girls. My sister's friend Corinne is a girl and, and I hate her. J'aime la France. But no. Here I was, hearing music as this new girl spoke. She was so pretty and so brainy, talking French. I was in a tizzy as we started our lessons. I tried to put it out of my head. I'm just confused, I thought, and concentrated on my French book. Miss Butler called out a question. I shot up my hand. So too did the new girl. The whole class turned, hanging on this standoff. The new girl looked at me. The class looked at me. I looked at the new girl. The class looked at the new girl. The new girl looked at Miss Butler. The class looked at Miss Butler. Miss Butler looked at me. Then I'd done something completely out of character. I took my hand down, as if to say, Go ahead. The new girl smiled at me. Oh, that smile. I thought someone turned on the lights. Near the end of the day, I was shuffling down the corridor again. The new girl was walking toward me. All of a sudden I felt awkward, conscious of myself. She smiled and stopped. Hiya. What's your name? She's talking to me. I I can't speak. Uh... Do you have a name? <laughs> Me? Motormouth. Can't speak. Oh, the irony. Uh, uh, my name is uh, it's Brendan. But uh, some of my friends call me Ben. My friend Midge called me Ben once. By mistake. Wow. You have two names. Mm, yeah. yeah, I actually have three. Uh, some people call me Benny as well. Benny? Ooh. <laughs> Nobody called me Benny. Not even by mistake. But I liked the beardy fella from ABBA. His name was Benny. And Top Cat's sidekick was called Benny as well. Can I call you Benny? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm Lorna. <laughs> See you, Benny. <laughs> Say something. She's walking away, you fool. Say something. 
Eh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you tomorrow, so, Lorna. Oh, I won't be here tomorrow. We're still moving house, so I have to help my mum. My heart sank. I wouldn't see her till Monday. But she's not collecting me till half three, so we could hang around after school if you want. Oh, feckin' hell. What? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, okay. I'll see you out the front after school. Okay. <laughs> see you, Benny. <laughs> I'm on cloud nine as I walk away. Imagine that. I'm hanging around with a new girl after school. She said, can I call you Benny? Can I call you Benny? Wait, my name's not Benny. <laughs> well, it is now. <laughs> I better tell everyone. No, wait, better still. I'll tell Midge. He'll tell everyone. Finally, the bell rang. School was over. Everyone milling about, not able to get out into the hot day quick enough. Johnny Connolly arrived to do what I was supposed to do. Lock up the school. And as I sauntered out and he marched in, taking the jangling bunch of keys from the pocket of his regulation bright brown farmer's coat, I felt he was giving me daggers looks. I slunk around the back of the school, waiting for everyone to leave. No place can change its nature, become so eerie, so quiet, so quick as a school ground. Spooked, I ran back around and sure enough, there was the new girl, all alone, sitting on the front wall. I blushed when she saw me. She jumped down, grabbing her school bag. Who was that man? Mr Connolly. He's a farmer. He locks up the school. Deadly? I could have locked up the school if I, if I wanted, but I don't want to. Oh. So, what will we do? You can show me around. There's not much to show. Uh, I can show you the hillfield and, and Scobies. Okay. What's Scobies? A farm. And the hillfield? What's that? A field. And why do they call it the hillfield? Eh, because it's a field on a hill. We walked to the back of the school, over the fence, across the narrow meadow, and into the cool of the wood. (sighs) This is nice. Beech trees. I lived at the sea. I haven't seen so many trees in ages. Yeah, there's loads of trees around here. That's the hillfield there. Where? Past that tree with the big split branch. Oh, yeah. Hey, what happened to the branch? Lightning. Wow. Mind the barbed wire? I'll throw my bag across first. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I don't know. You? I don't know. I like science. (sighs) Steep hill. But I like animals as well. And people. Uh, People are animals? Well, to be specific, they're mammals. I try to say that word, but I always end up saying Pacific. (laughs) Well, next time try say Pacific, and it might come out as specific. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So what do you like? Uh... Everything, I think. Uh, You're good at French. Not as good as you. That's true. Well, oh, this is the top of the hillfield. That's Scobie Griffin's farm. Where? Past the church. Oh, yeah. And do you know Scobie? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm well. We sat down in our school bags, surveying the scene. After another long spell of silence, I said, We'd better head back. Okay. See you Monday, Benny. See you, Lorna. Pacific. I thought about the events of the day and wondered, did all that really happen? It felt like a dream. The time with her had flown, even though her mother hadn't come till four o'clock. As I knew I'd be asked loads of questions at home, I thought, I'll just say I was in Scobie's. If missing, I could always be found in Scobie's. Scobie was a dairy farmer. I used to help him out the odd evening. Where were you? I was helping Scobie. You weren't, because Ma sent me up to get you and Scobie said you weren't there. I was out the back. And anyway, he always says I'm not there. When he called up to get me last week, he asked you who you were talking about. And I was standing behind him. Well, how come I didn't meet you on the lane then? Because I came home through the fields. Yeah. Well, how come? You look stupid in that uniform. Yeah, well, you are stupid. Yeah? Well, I'd rather be stupid than look stupid. Yeah, well, I'd rather look stupid than be stupid. Well, that's good for you then, isn't it? Why is that? Because you look stupid. Audrey's pencil case whizzed past my head. Give it up, the pair of you. He was with that new girl. Brendan has a girlfriend. Or should I say, Benny. I swear, sometimes I used to think my sister had magical powers, like a witch. How did she know all this? It only just happened. And she was in a different school. Benny. Shut up. She found all this out just by going from our house to Scobie's. And whose house was between ours and Scobie's? I seethed under my breath. That clown who stuck his tongue out at me in Miss Butler's class. Bobby McGrath. The spy must have told her everything. After dinner, I went to my room. I couldn't wait for Monday when Lorna would be back. Hey, Brendan. The next day, a Friday, I had the morning off, officiating at a wedding in the capacity of altar boy. Two pound notes from the beaming, radiant bride. Ooh, sweet. I walked into the schoolyard at lunchtime, still thinking of Lorna, telling myself she'd be back on Monday, and wondering again, was it all just a beautiful dream? Hey, Brendan. It was. Brendan. All just a dream. Hey. And I was being woken from it by the boy at the other end of that voice. I'd forgotten all about him. He wasn't in for the first few days because he was in a country called Spain with his parents. Will you wait? Dahi Madden. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, the best-looking and most popular boy in school. Dahi Madden, the only boy I knew who had an action figure of James Tiberius Kirk, captain of the USS Starship, the Enterprise. He approached with the second-in-command. Bobby blasted McGrath! Where are you going? I'll wait till I tell you. Hey, why weren't you in school this morning? I was doing altar boy. <laughs> Father Crowley's pet. Shut up, Bobby. Hey, were you on the hill field yesterday? <laughs> was I on, on the hill field yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> was I on the hill field yesterday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Bobby said he saw you with the new girl. I did. New girl? The new girl. Lorna Fitzsimons? Yeah, Lorna. I haven't met her. What's she like? Who? <laughs> Lorna Fitzsimons. Yeah, Lorna Fitzsimons. Lorna Fitzsimons? The new girl. She lives in... Where does she live, Bobby? The Knoll. Yeah, she lives in the Knoll. She used to live in... Where did she used to live, Bobby? Malahide. Yeah, she's from Malahide. Her father's a businessman or something. He owns a factory in sorts. She's in our class. Class? New girl? <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Yeah, yeah. I'll see you later. Hey, 
And why are you telling everybody to call you Benny? Sure, I'll see you this evening. This evening? What's he on about? I was in big trouble now. Come Monday, when she saw him and he saw her, it was all over for me. Back in class, as Mr Gallagher droned on and on, I was scribbling anxiously, thinking, what am I going to do? I looked across the room at my new tanned rival. He just smiled innocently at me, giving me the thumbs up. Oh, she was going to fall for him, no doubt, because he was good-looking. Those blue eyes, those blasted blonde curls. But wait, wait. Lorna Fitzsimons was really clever. So maybe she wouldn't fall for Dahi. Maybe brainy women didn't go in for all that good-looking stuff. Ah, who was I kidding? All my sisters were real clever, but I'd seen them turn into complete giggling Egypts when the handsome James Malloy walked past our house on his way to the football pitch. Oh, he's gorgeous. Oh, he's like your man on Bracken. Bracken? No, he's not. And anyway... Ma, your daughters have turned into nitwits again. What am I going to do? Oh, think, Brendan. Benny, think. Now, what type of man, besides good-looking, might a clever woman want? Well, not an ordinary man, anyway. Hey, what about an extraordinary man? But what makes an extraordinary man? What men like that do I know? My dad? <laughs> no, he's just a man. Like Paddy Donnell. Even Father Crowley's just an ordinary man. Jesus. Now he was an extraordinary man. But she's not going to like Jesus. Think. What makes a great man? I could ask Miss Butler, but... But I suspect Miss Butler would say something like... What makes a great man, Brendan? Oh, that's easy. A great woman. Aha. For the opposite of what Miss Butler would say, I seek out her natural opposite. Oh, I'm scheming now. Hello, Father. Ah, Brendan. Uh, Benny. I'm calling myself Benny now, Father. Uh, Benny, the very man. Uh, Listen now, I Look, Father, I want to ask you a, a very important question about a project I have to do next week for Mr Gallagher. Uh, yes? Uh, I have to write a story about a great man. Right. Well... I need to know what makes a great man. Oh, Brendan, I haven't the time to be devoting to this kind uh, of thing at all. No bother, Father. Sure, ask Miss Butler. Uh, wait, wait. Now, hold on. What do you need to know? Oh, you know, Father, uh, what makes a great man? So that other men look up to him and uh, girls or, or people uh, want to be with him. Want to be with him? Yeah, you know, Father, in, in his company. A leader like Jesus. Sort of, kind of actually nothing like Jesus, whatsoever. Well, Brenda, Bendy, some might think a great man is a man who's rich. And others might think a great man is a man who has power and responsibility. But for me, a truly great man is a man who places his own interests at naught sacrifices his own happiness in order to serve the congregation, the community he lives in. 
a man who values the virtue of kindness above all other things and has a sense of you know, Sorry, uh, sorry, Father. What was that you said about responsibility? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, well, some people might see greatness in a man who has power and responsibility. I remember one Sorry, Father, I have to go. I tore out of the church gates and ran like the wind, down through the wood, the words ringing in my head, great man equals responsibility. Responsibility equals great man. Why? Why did I say I didn't want the responsibility of opening the school? Yes, she'll fall head over heels for a man with power. The power to open doors, literally. The responsibility of ensuring 55 kids get to their desks on time every morning. Oh, that'll impress her. Handsome die. Ha! You haven't a hope. Power and responsibility. It'll be brains, money, it'll even be looks. Power and responsibility. I burst into the kitchen and glared in horror. The mantelpiece was empty. The keys. Where are the keys? They're in me pocket. Why? Sure, what do you want with the keys? Well, it's like this, Da. I was listening to Miss Butler there today and she was talking about the French Revolution. Yeah. And she said, well, I can't remember what she said, but it was very good. Yeah. And then I was talking to Father Crowley there about serving your community. That was very good as well. So I've had a change of heart. I've decided to place my own interest at nautical. What? Take the keys and open the school. Because it's for the greater good. Is that so? It is, yeah. Well, I'm glad you've seen sense. But there's no need now. Huh? Were you not in school this morning? No, I was doing a wedding. Oh. Well, your teacher asked our class if anyone had volunteered to open the school. And someone volunteered? Yes. Who? Uh, the blondie fella with the curls, the, the good-looking chap. Dahi Madden? Yeah, young Madden. He's calling this evening for the keys. The perfect storm of calamity. Its merciless clouds, thunderous claps and lightning bolts boomed, cracked and rolled into my big blue sky. Oh, no. What? Uh, nothing. I was finished. When she saw him and he saw her, his parents were rich, her parents were rich. He'd blonde hair and blue eyes. She'd blonde hair and... Wait. She'd green eyes. Ah, Their different coloured eyes wasn't going to make a difference. She'd probably even been in the country called Spain. And to top it all off, he was about to become a man of power and responsibility. I had a terrifying vision of the pair of them sitting out the front after school. She's bouncing her heels off the wall. He's jangling the keys in his hand. She looks into his eyes, then throws her head back, laughing at whatever he just said. There was no sound in the terrifying vision, so I'd no idea what he just said but it was probably some private joke about being in the country called Spain. Then she laughs again, but this time, horror of horrors, she touches his arm. Turn off the vision, turn it off! Did Father Crowley say anything to you about the airport? What about the airport? He said you can go with him when the Pope comes. He has a special pass. Ordinarily, this would have been the equivalent of meeting Abba, but at the present moment, it meant very, very little. I didn't want to see Dahi when he called for the keys. I went to the bedroom. I felt wretched when I heard him at the door. Yeah, Mr Tiernan. I'll be there on time every morning. Uh, is Benny there? Benny? Who the hell is Benny? Oh, uh, Brendan. Brendan? Brendan! No, he, he could be anywhere. Oh, OK. Uh, well, tell him I'll see him hanging the flags tomorrow. I heard the latch on the gate as he left. He's a grand young fella, isn't he, Patsy? 
Saturday morning, I woke dejected with a sore throat, feeling groggy and feverish, and I'd kind of already given up. The Dublin Colours, hanging in the village in anticipation of the final against Kerry, were about to be joined by a different bunch of flags, as a stream of village volunteers, including myself, Dahi, Audrey, Midge, Father Crowley, and loads of others, got to work. Andrew McLaughlin worked for the P&T, so he was able to pull a few strokes and get his truck. It had a crane and a jib. Paddy was shouting from the ditch, telling him how to drive it. My father was just shaking his head. We crisscrossed the roads with the bunting and streamers, hung the little flags at the Garda station, the school, the parochial hall, the post office, even Scobie's milking parlour. I avoided Dahi the whole time, though he made several attempts to befriend me. Do you want a hand with that, Benny? No, I'll do it myself. Come on, Midge. And when the work was finished and everyone stood back, we could barely see the navy and sky blue of Dublin behind the yellow and white of the Vatican. The village now swamped in the papal colours. Obviously the logic of the village committee being that as we were on the flight path to the airport, the papal plane would be coming in low to land. The Pope would be looking out of the window and he'd see this little corner of Dublin arrayed with the most concentrated assemblage of his very own colours, waving back up at him. Later... I went home through the wood with my father and his gang of political misfits. At Mullock Moor, a mile from Lord Mountbatten's home, more of the wreckage has been brought ashore by guarded divers. Audrey, move your homework before you spill something on it and it's my fault. Oh, you'd want to hear them, Patsy. And then Johnny says, privatise the CIE. They won't go on strike then. And that effing social welfare. Free this and free that. Effing handouts. And Paddy says, be the drapers, Johnny. You should join the blue shirts. I've heard it all now, he says. What are you on about, says Johnny. A farmer, says Paddy. A farmer. Talking about privatisation. And tell me this, Johnny, says he, when everything's privatised... I was beginning to feel even more groggy than that morning. Then something took over me. Something that had been building, from resigning myself to losing love before I even won it, not taking the keys and letting my family down, to being mean to Dahi. I experienced some kind of awakening, an awakening into a nightmare. It was something Paddy Donald had said on the walk home about what had happened the week previous. Eighteen British soldiers had been killed, as well as a man called Mountbatten, and two little boys. I started thinking about the two boys in Mountbatten's boat. My mind started racing because I couldn't understand why people would want to kill little boys or anyone else. Suddenly, all was not as innocent as I thought and I was consumed with a fear that everything was a lie. I asked my older brother about it. He said it was the Brits' fault because they shouldn't have been up the north in the first place. I went to the bedroom, despaired, thinking, is this how grown-ups settle their differences? I wasn't sure what the Brits had to do with it all. I was trying to put all the bits and pieces together, remembering different people giving out about the Brits, which to my ten-year-old mind just seemed odd, 
because everyone was watching Top of the Pops and the FA Cup and Faulty Towers and they were all shopping in Woolworths and listening to the Beatles and following Liverpool or QPR and no one seemed to have any interest in anything Irish beyond Gaelic football. And then I despaired even more about how grown-ups settled our differences because for the life of me, I couldn't see the differences. Then I thought, is there something seriously wrong with grown-ups? Compared to kids, they seem to be such slow learners. Are they all insane? I kept thinking about the North and then about people killing people all over the world. And I knew it was complicated because people thought they were fighting for something like in the French Revolution. And then I started thinking about famines and diseases and then nuclear bombs. I went on and on, breaking into a sweat. I was frantic as all the bits of information were swirling around in my head and I ran from the house in a state of utter panic. I headed for the church and I found Father Crowley. And there's this man, Jimmy Carter. He's nice, but this other man, Brezhnev, he's real grumpy. And he has these things called warheads, loads of them. They're nuclear or something. They're bombs. One of them could kill a million people. And he has this red phone, it's, it's called a hotline. And he just to pick it up and speak into it. He doesn't need to dial a number. Well, well, I don't think he has to. And then this general pushes a button and a shaft opens up in the ground. And people in New York and, and swords. They're just walking around minding their own business. They don't know that this thing is coming up from a bunker and it's going to shoot up into the sky. They see that after the explosion, the birds go quiet. That's a sign. And that the radio just goes off. And then this big thing just comes up out of the ground and it blocks out the sun. It's called a mushroom cloud. And Father, Father, I can't hear the birds. I can't hear the birds. I can't hear the radio. They're after pushing the button. It's happening. They're after pushing the button. The world is going to end. No, but Benny, listen. The world isn't going to end. Calm down now. It's just, it's just your imagination. That's all. Calm down now. You're all right. I steadied a bit. He made tea and a phone call. My father came and brought me home. The doctor was called. Strep throat, he said and put my delirium down to a simple case of a sky-high temperature and an overactive imagination. Which was all right, cos I got seven up. Monday. I never thought the day would come when I could stay home from school but want to go in. I was kept home, still sick, even sicker imagining the terrifying vision of Di and Lorna out the front. I sloped in on Tuesday as class was starting. Dahi, obviously doing his new job, no problem. There she was up the front, the wonderful Lorna. It all came back to me, seeing her for the first time, meeting her in the corridor, the walk through the wood, sitting on top of the hill field together. All seemed like an age away. After a while... I watched her scan the room. She looked down and smiled. That smile! My heart rose momentarily, then sank when I realised who was sitting behind me. Dahi. She was looking past me, smiling at him. Ah, well, I thought. It all happened yesterday. She saw him and he saw her. All was lost. The bell rang for the break. She was making her way over to me, probably to say, Who's the boy that was sitting behind you? So I just slipped out to the shelter. After a while, Dahi found me, 
Bobby McGrath, as usual, sloping behind him. Hey, Benny, listen. I don't want to know if you're going with her. What? And anyway, I kissed her first. Kissed who? And she only likes you because you have the keys. That's all. And anyway, they're my keys. Kissed who? Lorna Fitzsimons! I kissed Lorna Fitzsimons! Yeah. You're speechless now, aren't you? Uh-oh. So you kissed me? Did you? Uh, huh? Ha-ha, <laughs> caught a rabbit. Lorna, wait, come back. <laughs> Deadly. Oh, leave me alone, Bobby. Lorna, wait. I didn't kiss you. I wouldn't kiss you. Even if you were the last boy in the world. And for your information, I didn't like you because you opened the school. I liked you because I thought you were nice. She stormed off again. Back in class, I tried to get her attention. She was having none of it. At lunchtime, I was back in the shelter, dejected. Dahi came over. Benny, I was talking to Lorna. So you are going with her now? What? No. We're just friends. She's real nice. I told her that you didn't mean it like that. Uh, about kissing her. Yeah? Yeah. I told her you only said it because you like her. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. And I'd say if you talked to her, she'd be grand. Here. You take the keys. You open the school. What? Yeah. I don't want them. When you were doing altar boy the other day, some people in class were giving out about you for not opening the school. So I volunteered because I thought it might make them shut up. And sure, listen, Benny. If you told me you liked Lorna, I wouldn't ask her to go with me anyway. Sure, my friend. Up to that point, I wasn't close to Dahi Madden, mainly because I was jealous of him. But now we were best friends. We made our way back into class with our arms around each other's shoulders. Anyway, Benny, now don't tell anyone. But I don't think I even like girls. Lorna? What? I'm sorry. Can we be friends? Yes, but only friends. Okay. Will you meet me after school? For what? I want to show you something. Yeah. Okay. School was over. I had the keys. I let Lorna come back in the main entrance and led her along the empty corridor to a door in the corner. A door which was always locked. You can't go in there. I can. I have the keys. What's in there anyway? Now you'll have to promise to cover your eyes first, okay? Okay. Swear? Swear! What's that? What's that noise? Keep your eyes covered. I'm going to go turn on the lights. Covered. Now, open your eyes. Wow! A skeleton! And a Bunsen burner. This is so great. But what are they doing in here? The old headmaster got the stuff. He was going to teach us science, but, but then he got sick so it didn't happen. They just threw it all in here. He's fab. Look at his eyes. Eh, uh, he doesn't have eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean. I read a book on the human body. They're called the metacarpals. Well, I think. And the bone in his ear is called the stirrup. It's the smallest bone then. And that's your clavicle. No, it's not. Uh, yes, it is. It's not. Uh, it is your clavicle. It's not. It's his clavicle. Uh, okay, very funny. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> oh, you're funny bone. <laughs> hey, do you think it's called a funny bone because its real name is the humorous or because it feels funny when you bang it off something? <laughs> <laughs> do 
thinking about everything. Nope. <laughs> Give me your elbow. <laughs> that feels funny. See? That's your funny bone. And that's his. <laughs> we looked into each other's eyes. Silence. A tingle of electricity ran through the air, into my hand, up her arm. The whole world went quiet. I'll never forget that kiss. The sound of her breath. The feel of her lips. <laughs> there is nothing to add to this story that can eclipse that kiss. So I'll finish it. Through the remainder of the school term, we were inseparable. We held hands, we talked, we finished each other's sentences. Then ultimately, we finished out the year. She went to the convent school, I went to technical college. Shortly after, because of her father's job, she moved house again, and I never saw her again. The Pope came and went, the years rolled on. Father Crowley died, as did Johnny and Paddy, and my mother and my father. Now that remote little corner of Fingal, North County Dublin, has become like so much of the rest of rural Ireland, a graveyard. The post office is closed, the Garda station is closed, the school is closed, the pub is gone, the community is dead. The parochial hall has weeds growing from its gutters, the wood where we played, chased and climbed trees. The wood that the villagers used as a shortcut to mass and to the hill field. That wood is owned by a developer now, fenced off with high railings. The church is empty. The people are gone. That handsome boy, Dahi, grew up to be an even more handsome young man with a kind word and a smile for everyone. And everyone loved him including me. And for whatever reason, who knows, at 22 years of age, in the early hours of a summer Sunday morning, Dahi walked into Aidan Walsh's barn and hanged himself. I looked at the newspaper article again, at the photograph. A happy woman sitting in her lecture room, the pretty professor of science, Oh, it was her all right. The unmistakable smile. Lorna Fitzsimons. My Lorna. My die.